You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to Scottish Football Forums Season 9, Episode 51. Uh, I couldn't say this week's because this is our second of the week. So I'm John, uh, and John, how you doing? You're on as well. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, um, how you doing? I'm alright. I, uh, yeah, no foreign introductions tonight. So I just keep it, keep it in English. Um, Chris, how you doing? Hi, alright. Right. My voice is slowly coming back after the, the frantic. Bedtime reading I've been doing for the last hour. Do you need some statements from Rangers or something like that? Aye, ah, yeah, I put my kids to sleep. To sleep. Yeah. Uh, aye, that would certainly send everyone to sleep, I think. Um, and we're pleased to have another guest on, so I guess we've had him on a few times and we love having him on. Um, he's always good. Good partner as well. Uh, Aaron, how you doing? How you doing, guys? It's a pleasure to be back. I think this is appearance number three, so I'm assuming my hat-trick ball's in the post. Well, I think it. I think it's actually four. Um, is it four? Aye. And see, the last time you're on Celtic won the League Cup, and then you're on this week and Celtic have won the league. Aye. Time and these well. Glory hunter. I mean, podcast glory hunter. I mean, it's no hard to pick a time Celtic win a trophy and get me on. To be fair. Uh, aye, that's true. <laughs> aye. It's eleven in a row now. Yeah. Now, how are you? Uh, it was good until we started talking about that, Celtic winning focus and all that, but aye. Uh, you're almost like, there's something you're like actually quite happy to miss football about. Um, so, <laughs> I know, pretty good. You're, you're, being, you're being quite negative about this. Aberdeen have won a four teams that have still got a chance of winning a trophy this season. Well, aye, they're just going to get a quarter of the cup to each of us. Next April for that one, I think. <laughs> Probably. Um... But yeah, are you, are you coping with life as um, dad, friend, teacher, um, football coach, whatever else you may be right now? <laughs> uh, I mean, ironically, I'm probably busier now than ever. Um, lockdown has, has a, I've been working full time. There's been no change in that aspect. Um, and obviously my little one's at home. So I've been trying to maintain some sort of routine for him before he starts school. Whenever the schools go back, I think they said August today. So... Uh, we've been trying to maintain routine for him and make sure that he's getting some sort of learning. And, and, and my wife is a nurse, so she's not been around a, a whole lot. She's been working like crazy. So it's been it's been strange times, but ironically, it's been it's I've probably enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it's been busy, but also feels like life's just slowed down a little bit for me. I've got four hours a day back that I usually do travelling back and forward to work. So I'm just trying to use the time efficiently and as best we can. Um, obviously, time to tackle, which we run, been unable to meet up, but we've been doing Zoom calls and daily challenges and stuff on Twitter and just trying to keep people engaging and, and speaking to them in the WhatsApp group chats and things. So I think it's been it's posed its challenges, but overall, I'll probably look back on it fairly positively. Aye, because we've not had you on since you started doing time to tackle, so been going well, obviously, up until lockdown, but even adapting to different ways of doing that as well. I was trying to be a bit innovative and, and just it's just about keeping people engaging. You know, I think we hear a lot 
phrases like social distancing and isolation and all these sort of words that aren't particularly nice to hear and they're not they're not nice to carry out, it's not nice to be away from people. So we're just trying to make sure that everyone who's engaged with us previously, I think we have about 60 participants over the couple of groups we are running, we're just trying to make sure that all of them are continuing to talk and, and speak to each other uh, and engage in certainly little challenges online and, and, and in the WhatsApp. And we do a couple of Zoom calls most weeks just for a catch-up. Um, and then also we're doing some work in the background uh, about coming out you know, post lockdown about getting into more communities and working to impact more lives. So we announced a partnership with Motherwell just two weeks ago or so. Uh, so we'll be working in the Motherwell area in partnership with the club um, and also be working in Paisley in partnership with St Mirren. And there's a few other things in the pipeline as well. So we're just looking at how we grow and develop and, and get into more areas in Scotland because the first six or seven months of time to tackle have proven really successful and it feels like it's a, it's a service that people want to engage in and use. Um, so we're just trying to grow that as best we can. It's I a great idea, just for something so simple, just sort of get out, play a bit of football and then have a, a bit of a chat. It's, I think that tends to be how the most successful things can pick up. It's just simplicity. And That's absolutely it. I think, when I, I think when we sat, when myself and Siobhan sat down and we'd spoken about the idea, um, about using football and then and then trying to amalgamate that with a tradi- traditional support group format and how could we do that. I think the football gets people together. I think if you enjoy football like most of us do, then and we put it on for free, you're inclined to go and give it a go. Um, I think doing the football first, it gets people used to each other. You know, they just go, it's very easy to just go and play and enjoy it, it sort of reduces anxiety straight away uh, and then when you come into the room it's just that little bit easier to open up if you need to um, and it, what we do in the room is fairly laid back, you know it isn't really like your traditional support groups where we sit in a circle and go around everybody individually, you know it's very much a come and go uh, letting the participants choose if they want to speak or not um, and just try to, it's basically a, a group of friends is what it's developed into I mean, there's a lot of us. I think the last group before we finished up, there was 36 people. But it, it, it's it's almost like a second family to me. And, uh, and myself and Siobhan love doing it. And like you see, it, it's just such a simple idea that's, that's growing arms and legs. And we can't wait to get back and to get into more more areas and impact more people. How tough is it? Um, is it just now, obviously, with the lockdown? Because a lot of things have been taken away in mental health. It's obviously mental health week this week. Um, yeah. And you know, I know SFA have um, launched some for um, you know for for coaches with mental health, which is good. But you know, given the fact that you know people can't do their day to day, it's going to be mentally challenging on everyone right right now. Um, so how are you finding it? I think for me, I've had a couple of wobbles. I would be lying if I said otherwise. You know, I think in the main it's been positive, but there are there have been days where I found it really tough. Uh, I've just tried to, you know, all the usual stuff. I've tried to stick to routine as best as I can. It's, it's helped by the fact that I'm still working full time, so you know I need to be online by like eight o'clock every day. Uh, but I've tried to stick to getting a shower and stuff before that, and not just waking up and wandering into into the room uh, in my jammies so try to do that maintain routine make it, and like I say with time to tackle keep engaging with people so it's, it's awful that I can't go see people and, and we can't get that physical engagement but I mean I'm using I'm on my phone more now than ever you know 
as I said, about getting my four hours travel time back, trying to use that to pick up the phone to people and speak to them for longer than I normally would, or I've been doing some online learning courses and things like that around mental health, so just trying to get as much positive as I can out of this, but of course it's tough, it's really tough, and we've seen that, and we've been exposed to that in the group, you know, everyone who we engage with, everyone's had their moments, everyone's had their days or their week, or maybe even longer, but it's just been so hard for them, Uh, but what we've managed to create is a an amazing group of people who just rally around each other and because we allow them to be so open and honest and there's no judgment or anything carried there they, they feel very comfortable in being open with each other and often before I even get the chance to reply when someone isn't feeling so good you know the other guys in the group have already rallied around them and, and started to support them and that's that was the whole aim of this and that's what the aim of the peer support was. The whole routine thing I find is is oddly important. You don't think it would be, but it's just that I'm not going to go to my work in my jammies. I'm going to actually go for a shower, get cleaned up, put some clothes on, and then I'll go to my desk. And one one of the simplest things I do is at the end of the day, I'll put my laptop away and put it in a different room. Yeah, I'm now done with work. I'm not so good at that. I've I've tried. I think I go, I actually moaned about it on Twitter maybe last week or so, but I, I leave it lying out and then I find myself sitting at it still at this time of night, so it's probably something I need to get better at. But yeah, routine's massive. And I think as well, a really big thing uh, and something I've really tried to push home with the group is about sleep, your sleep hygiene and your sleep routine. You know, I think it's very easy when you don't really have off for people who are on furlough and stuff like to sit up till four o'clock at night binging on Netflix. Um, but I've really tried to push some messages like try and keep your sleep habits as good because if you're staying up late, you're getting up late, you start to feel lethargic and that can very quickly have an impact on your mood. So that's been a big thing for me is that I've got an alarm that tells me when I need to go to my bed at night. And I know that's strange having an alarm to tell you to go to sleep, but it's it's a big thing for me to make sure that I'm still getting a good sleep and that I'm not just staying up late because I don't have to travel in the morning or whatever. I wonder so that alarm will go off in five minutes then? I've I've extended it by an hour or so. (laughs) Um, No, but I think that's a thing. One other thing to sleep in is obviously as well trying to not be on devices like before you're going to sleep as well because it's a nightmare trying to get to sleep if you've been on the phone, the bright light in the phone or tablet or that. That's a big thing as well. That's the thing for me is I either read physically or I'll listen to it, so I'll put my phone on charge and I'll just listen to an audio because something just set it to go off after an hour but I find reading or listening to stuff sort of helps wind me down for the day um, Yeah. but yeah the device thing's a big thing for some people that it really triggers them and, and keeps them up for longer so I always kind of charge my phone at the opposite side so I can't get to it straight away uh, and I just listen to an audio book or a podcast or something to wind down it's such a true thing like it's something it's weirdly i started in hospital last year when you were being encouraged to have your breakfast at a certain time and, and, and i was actually talking to some dead today about this but the hospital was great for routine i was comparing the hospital experience to the lockdown experience uh, talking to someone today the hospital was great for routine because you got your food at the same time every day. So I was having to set my alarm to wake up to go and get my breakfast or I would miss it. And that's what I started doing was keeping the phone out of reach so I had to physically get out. Um, and it's something that, that definitely works. Developing the new skills during lockdown? Uh, I think so. I think 
As I say, I'm doing some online learning, so that's definitely helping me develop. I think I'm also developing, probably, maybe not development, probably reprioritisation of what happens in life or what's really important. As I say, obviously work's massively important, but my four and a half year old is much more important. And I think I've lost that a lot of times in life. I've lost that perspective. I think there's going to be a lot of people change their perspective a little bit. You know, the time that I've committed to him, I hope I can continue to commit to him. Maybe it'll be less time, but, you know, the same quality of time. Um, patience. I think my patience has been tested to the max some days, and it's no fault to, to the little one. But, you know, it's like he doesn't need your attention until you're all of a sudden on a call with your boss and then he needs everything from you. And, and that's a test of patience. But I think that de- that's definitely something that I've had to work on where I'm not getting as frustrated with him and trying to understand that he's all he is is just frustrated that he doesn't have friends to play with and he's not enough there and he can't get outside as much as he wants so um, that's probably the biggest takeaways and then probably a real pride in Siobhan you know seeing what she's going through in the front line and any just a real change of perspective for me understanding what she does at home because I've never really been here this much understand how much effort she puts into the home life whilst she's been maintaining a full-time job for the last four and a half years while I've been at work and, and not around as much, it's probably changed my perspective a bit. Yeah. What about you guys, actually? I don't know if you're talking about this. You learned any new skills, John or Chris? I have learned how to serve a flywheel ball past my son. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put it in the goal or uh, uh, over that? With enough practice, I was putting it in the goal. It's, it's funny that the physics is really weird of a flyaway ball. I mean, yeah. you probably remember that for your youth, but still, <laughs> you spend enough time in the garden, you can kind of perfect it. It's going to be no use when talk down finished, unfortunately, but it's fun. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't say I've learned yeah, any any new skills. It's just been um, in, enhancing some of the things that we've got. Um, I obviously mentioned my wife learned um, how to do hairdressing because um, uh, she cut mine and my boy's hair <laughs> a few weeks ago. But um, no, it's just been no case of just um, giving the wee man as much um, as much time as possible. And uh, Calm's football's um, coming on nicely too. Um, so yeah, can't complain. Yeah, yeah. Rudy's really the, <laughs> the same. We've been out pretty much every day. Um, been lucky with the weather, haven't we? I think the weather's made it that bit easier. Mm-hmm. Two months of great weather, it's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weather's certainly made it easier because you can get out um, if it was pouring. If this was happening throughout winter, I dare say it'd be a, a totally different and more difficult experience. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, the kids' mental health as well is something that you, um, you need to think about as well because their lives are turned upside down without, you know... No, by no fault of their own, because no, I certainly know from our point of view, um, my boy doesn't get to see his cousins, doesn't get to see his grands, doesn't get to see his friends, and he's saying that he misses school. Um, he initially liked the thought of being off school, but then a few weeks later, that novelty quickly worn off. Um, so I mean, it's uh, you're right. I mean, it's patience is is, is difficult. You know, it's, you've, you've got to be as patient as you can, but it, and it is very testing. But I think we're all doing the best we can. Yeah, I think something Sorry. you appreciate as well is like having just normal conversations with other people. It's not mm-hmm. your work, just like charts like this or charts for other people. Because obviously you're not going to see them. It's massive. You just learn to appreciate things more. That's the main thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's funny what you say about the, the it's like uh, your son's wanting to go missing school. It's like, I never thought I'd hear the phrase, can I do my homework now? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it several times recently. <laughs> Uh, shall we move on then to the football? Damn, is a what's been happening? Yeah. Oh. Uh, so I touched on the fact that Celtic been champions. You move on. The season that. would be finished now, wouldn't it? Actually, was it the weekend there that the season Aye. would have actually been finished? Yeah. Was the week think... before. I think. What's it was, that? It was a, I mean, the, the Scottish Cup final was pretty early this year because it was supposed to be. What, Given enough time for uh, Euro 2000 to get into swing of things. So I'm sure the Scottish Cup final was pretty early in May. Mm-hmm. Aye, it was supposed to be the 8th of May. Um, Aye. So, and I think it was either the weekend there or the weekend coming up. It should have been um, the last weekend of the season because then it should have been wind down for the, the Euros too. Um, but I noticed that obviously BT um, were tweeting that that was their last um, Scottish football extra show, which is a shame after. Um, was it six years of good coverage we've yeah. had of them? Um, and yeah, they, they'll certainly be missed. But um, I don't want to go into too much about all the statements that's been happening. It's obviously a difficult situation no matter what happened. Um, and I've not, I've read somewhere that the English Championship are ready to make a call, which I'm quite surprised at, given the money involved. Um, but more disturbing from Scottish football point of view is the if what Steve McGowan said, um, and he's a pretty well-respected journalist, that um, you know, League One and League Two clubs might not start to January. How on earth are they going to survive? That might be all right for a part-time one. See if what, the full-time clubs like Partick Thistle and Falkirk, yeah. and, like, <laughs> they're going to really struggle if that's the case. It just seems like the hits keep coming for Thistle, given the, the relegation that they got in the first place. So, I, I mean... What's going to come of reconstruction, being back on the table... I'm not convinced anything's going to come of it, to be honest. I don't think there's enough appetite for it to get a vote through. Uh, we'll wait and see if Ambridge comes up with some magical way of uh, getting something through. I think she's due to do it tomorrow. So the card does Thursday night. Um, it's supposed to be Friday, supposedly, so we'll see. Um, I, I'm still very much as a thinking that I don't want anything temporary because I think reconstruction should be for the good of all Scottish football. Yeah. It should be a permanent solution. I do understand those that argue that a temporary solution makes sense given the crazy circumstances we find ourselves in right now. Um, but that does just seem like a bit too self-serving for my liking. If it was somebody else who's proposed a temporary solution, not one of the teams that had been relegated, then I could maybe have a bit more sympathy for it. But I, I do understand the, the idea that we're in a very unusual situation and a temporary solution might be the way to stop anybody from negatively being impacted by this because nobody had been officially relegated. Um, Thistle had the game in hand, which could have got them out of the bottom spot. Hearts, yes, they lost us at Burn in the last game. Um, before uh, the lockdown came along, but they were only still four points behind us for another eight games to play. The form was rotten, um, against, certainly against the bottom six teams. So um, the BBC put an article together uh, this week which basically said, What happens in the last eight games? Not a lot. <laughs> the positions that you're in now were probably going to be the positions that we were going to finish in, but not always, as St. Marin themselves know. Um, that was interesting that Tony Fitzpatrick came out this week and was saying that the Hearts deserve to go down. Um, given that St Mirren had themselves been uh, bottom with eight games to go recently and uh, got themselves out of it. So, 
we'll see what comes of it. Um, I'm not holding out any hope. Though. I think Thistle's the team that we you feel for them the most because, you know, they, as you mentioned, they had the game in hand. Um, and the only reason they had the game in hand was because Inverness were involved in the Scottish Cup um, the weekend. There was other championship matches going on. Um, so it is a bit of a... Um, that, that's the one that I really feel for. Um, no, I don't think Stranard were ever um, getting out of it. Not that it makes it right because they still mm-hmm. should have the right to um, fight their way out of it. And as we mentioned, Hearts mm-hmm. forming against the bottom six club, clubs wasn't... Um, you know, a decade of a team um, that was going to survive. Um, the Kelly Hartsborough thing, um, they've been denied the right, obviously, to play for the, um, play for promotion. That That's a really bad one. Um, yeah. Dave McKinnon spoke very well on PLZ Soccer, um, the Morton chief of saying that um, that he proposed that have a one-off game between Brewer and Kelly and then another one-off game between the winners of that and Breakin and have it right at the start and then Whoever obviously wins, just put them in the fixture list and then the season can get started. But the SPFL terminology was, well, we're scrapping all playoffs so that one gets scrapped too. It's, that's not right. It's a total it's a total mockery of the pyramid scheme that they've apparently built so hard to put together over the last six years. It makes a total mockery of it. Um, and coming from a player who is now going to be in the lower part of that pyramid scheme, but all, these, all the clubs in the West jumping into it, like, it's a total shambles that the, that Kelty and Brora find themselves in that situation, but Dundee United etc. don't go and get promoted. It's it's beyond belief. Yeah, I think that the, the good thing about the 14-10-10-10 solution was it pretty much righted every single wrong yeah. that had really been done by cutting it short. So Hearts would stay up. You'd have um, Inverness joining Dundee United going up as well. Falkirk, who were in, right in the title race for the in, in League One, would also go up from it. You wouldn't have Sisser going down. Um, just uh, it seemed to it seemed to be the solution that kind of sorted everyone because like when Kelty and Brora would be coming up to make up the extra two teams in the bottom, and then it, again it's not ideal. I don't know how four teams would work in the top flight. But I mean. I've seen other suggestions that if the Premiership's the problem, then why don't we try and increase the Championship and make it a kind of 12-12-10-10? And that doesn't help Hearts, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it, it, be a, be a it, just, it just feels like self-preservation in the top flight, where yeah. they don't want to yeah. share the money any more than they already have to. And Unfortunately, that's the way of the world in Scottish football. There's so much tribalism and self-preservation and people don't like to work collaboratively. So, And by the way, the pyramid should be that Brora and Gilty go up anyway. There shouldn't be a playoff between Highland and Lowland. They both should just go up. With, like the, the bottleneck of clubs being created by one space being made available and countless playoffs is a, a nonsense anyway. Oh, I, I totally also. agree. And then we've, agreed on that. We have 67 new clubs going into this pyramid from the west of Scotland. I don't know, I think it was 39 or something in the east last year. It's the guts of 120 clubs now making up tier 6 and 7 below. It, it's just, there's no clear pathway for any club to get up. And it's it's pure preservation of the top like, of the top four leagues that are already in place. And and they've shown, they've shown their hand and shown their cards through this by, by saving breaking and not, not opening any sort of serious conversation or discussion around awarding Kelty and Brora for their efforts. Because even the whole tier situation as well is a bit of a joke because it's going to be now supposedly a three-way playoff, West yeah. v East versus South, to then have a chance yeah, yeah. of a of a place. Um, 
Aye, just as you say, it makes a mockery of a pyramid system. It should be idea teams. If teams are wanting to progress, then have that. The, the fear is, I think, for the teams in the likes of League 2, is when they go down, when they go down to the lower league, and they struggle to get back, back into the, the top leagues, but, and that's their big concern. But this is a, a, of course, but this is a business at the end of the day, so, I mean, put a better, site, put a better team on the pitch then. Like... Yeah, they've had years of not having relegation, so I don't I don't feel for those clubs who come down. I really don't. Like, you look at the third division this year, or League Two this year, sorry, uh, Edinburgh and Cove going and finishing in in the top two positions, and they've both come from the Lowland and Highland League respectively. Ross County in the past, Inverness in the past. So, uh, it's it's pure self preservation, and it's always been the way in Scottish football. Yeah, what, what's your own thoughts in terms of all the, the teams in the West going into this West of Scotland League? My honest thoughts is yeah. that I've only got a couple of years left and I'm not really that concerned about it. I'm not at a stage, if I was 22 or 23 or in my younger years, I'd have probably been more excited by it. But I just want to enjoy the next few years of my football and then bow out and coach my boy, to be honest. Um, I'm not. And I know it's probably not the best attitude, but I, I just I just want to enjoy football. I think, as yeah. I said, it, we're creating a massive bottleneck of clubs. I think the way the West Scotland League was set up as well, where clubs sign up on the agreement that all four conferences will be in the same tier, and then all of a sudden that model changes, and we have a Premier League, and then three three teams below that on a level conference. I think the latest I'm hearing is that potentially seven clubs will be relegated from the West of Scotland in League One. Uh, from the West of Scotland League in season one because the SFA only want to manage a 16-team league and it's currently 20. So they're going to have to send four down and then a further three to allow for three promotions. So that, you know, 30, 30% of clubs getting relegated in one season is an absolute nonsense as well. So I think for me, I think it's good that there is a pathway, albeit a very difficult one, to, to tread think if clubs have the correct infrastructure and stuff in place then they, they can get to the leagues but it's probably it, it should be far more open I think there's, there's just too many clubs in the way um, so it doesn't it doesn't really excite me as much as it probably should Aye, are you not allowed to sign with St Rocks as well hadn't you just before? I signed uh, the week before lockdown so uh, I literally signed I played 15 minutes on the Saturday and then Everything got shut down. I'd done the training session the Monday night, and then by Wednesday, I think by Wednesday we were starting to look like we were facing a lockdown. Football was cancelled on the Thursday or something. So I've not kicked the ball in anger for them, pretty much. Yeah. Are the club pretty pleased with what conference they've ended up in? Even I think I haven't spoken to the manager and stuff very briefly, but I think looking at the conferences, that's. That's one of the stronger ones, uh, based on the clubs who are there. Um, uh, there's not a huge amount of travelling in it either, which plays a big part at this level. You know, in terms of cost and stuff, I think only really a Drossens a real trip away. So, um, I think it's exciting. Don't get me wrong, it's exciting for a lot of clubs, but I just, for me, I'm probably not as excited as I should have been. I'm 29 in the summer. I feel like I'm winding down. So, I've had obviously been ravaged by injuries for a while as well. So. For me, I just want to get in and enjoy enjoy playing again um, and see where it takes us. Yeah, after um, the end of the year at Faultis, I know you had some good times at Faultis, but um, it 
for what I know ended in a bit of a, a cloud. How important is it that you enjoy these next few years of your career? Massive. I think. Don't get me wrong. Uh, this time last year, I was done. Uh, you know, everyone knows I was in hospital this time last year and stuff, and I wasn't playing football at this point. I wasn't interested. I had no interest in going back to it, and probably only JC could have uh, changed that mindset for me. You know, he'd shown me such support throughout my hospital stay and in, 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 in the, the couple of years previous and there was just a little bit of an attraction there and I, I loved the time at Falters. Um, I got back to enjoying it again for the first time in a number of years. I was scoring, uh, we were doing well, I think we were well placed. We'd had a little wobble around Christmas time but we'd probably recovered and we were pretty well placed at the time. Disappointing how it ended. I think everyone will probably look back on it and think they could have dealt with it a bit differently, and I include myself in that. Um, you know, it just wasn't a nice situation that we had to deal with, uh, and uh, it didn't end. It didn't end in a nice way. But I mean, I eventually got out to St Rocks, and they got a, they got a fairly decent fee for me, so I feel like I'd done them a turn in that aspect. But. Like I say, it's it's just made me focus on, once again, I just want to enjoy it and I want to play in an environment where I'm enjoying myself more than anything. Uh, Whether that's a good attitude or not, I'm not sure. I'm not overly interested in pushing myself too far and looking too far ahead. I think I just want to take take it as it comes now. See on the subject of John Connolly, have you played with him during your career? No, never. Never, so... I think I first spoke out about my mental health 2017-18 time and JC got in touch with me then. I played against him and scored into him a few times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and a particular last minute winner against him for down at Fornley with Rings of Bell when I was at Hurlford. But um, I had just played against him and stuff and I obviously knew of him and JC on Twitter and stuff is a bit, he's a bit marmite. People either yeah, love him or you hate him. He's opinionated and he is what he is, but he's got a heart of gold. Uh, and I, for about two years, he was kind of on me a wee bit, just checking in on me. He, everyone had started to understand what was going on in my life. So he was always one to, to reach out to me and make sure I was all right. So when I went into hospital, we kind of got back in touch and he just coaxed me into getting back out and playing. As I say, I, I don't think anyone else could have done that at that point. I'd already told Irvin Meadow I was done and Brian McGinty came and visited me in hospital and stuff uh, the Meadow manager at the time and even sitting there I just told him Look, I appreciate you coming in and I appreciate you, you doing this for me but I'm done and then you know, a month or so later I'd sort of changed my mind and went to Fold House I'm going to then take you back to the start of your career yep so back to the times at Air. So how did that come about? Were you involved with the youth set up at Air? Uh, no, so I was initially I'd come through at Hibs. So I went full time uh, when I was fifteen at Hibs, and I I think maybe four months into my contract, um, I was really struggling. Uh, again, mental health. I didn't know it was mental health back then, but I had awful, awful anxiety as a boy. Um, and when I went full time I moved away so I moved through to Edinburgh and I was staying in a flat with a 17 year old so it was just me and him and I was only 15 at the time just about to turn 16 obviously I left school and stuff and I just didn't settle at all I didn't settle away from home and I didn't settle at the club you know, I was training with 17, 18, 19 year olds um, and yeah 
the football changing room and all the banter and all that. As a young boy who was really quiet and had really bad anxiety, I just I couldn't cope with it. Uh, people taking the piss out of me, it felt personal, it wasn't it? It wasn't, and I, I know that now looking back, but it did at the time, felt really personal. I was going home, and not ashamed to admit it, but I was going home at night in the flat and, and crying and stuff and just really struggling. I just I hated it. Uh, so I started ditching training and saying there was a tight calf, tight hamstring, a, a bang in my thigh or whatever. And eventually one day I just went in and I told the head of youth development at the time, uh, Bill Hendry, I just said to him, I'm done. And we had a conversation. I can't remember much about what he said. I think he maybe tried to talk me about it, but I think he understood that I was finished. And they, he just took me upstairs and they cancelled my contract on the spot. Um, and I was actually talking about this all day, but to think that they just let a 16-year-old boy walk away for a contract. They just let me leave Easter Road that day. They didn't ever follow up on me ever again. Um, which I think, looking back, is probably quite disappointing that they let me exit in that manner. I, I would hope nowadays that someone would have tried to guide me a bit better. Yeah, I mean, when we spoke to Alan Lawrence a couple of weeks ago, you know, he talked about um, that there's not really much, and there should be more in place than what there is, um, you know, to prepare, especially kids, you know, you know, 16 who are having their dreams. Um, taken away from I mean I know yours was almost um, voluntarily but for other kids who have been building themselves up that's big responsibility that yeah 100% like I I let when I left Easter Road that day I went homeless because I didn't go back home Um, it was a massive thing in my family that when I quit that contract you know from a few months earlier feeling like I'd, I'd, I was on the right path of achieving my dreams and everyone being so proud of me to to walking out on it like my family didn't take well to that um, I'm sure they would change that now looking back as well, they'd probably have changed some of their actions and behaviours but I never went back home from there, I went homeless that day I had to go and register as homeless um, and I got put up in a hostel uh, so I it just shows, and, and as I say, the club never took... I actually never even picked up my clothes from the flat that I'd been living in. Um, I just left, and, and I was never checked up on again. And like you say, there's so much more that, that should have been done probably for me. Uh, and for other boys up and down the country, whether it be at 16 that you don't go full-time, or at 18 after a couple of years at full-time you're being let go, I think there's so much more... You know, after aftercare that clubs can probably do, and I know there's some work being done on it, but we all seem to focus on the the post careers of guys who have had 15 year careers. I don't think we're we're focusing quite so well on on kids coming through. But I suppose back to your original question, how did they end up here? Uh, I left Ibs and I took a bit of time out. As I say, I was homeless for a period, so I wasn't playing football. Um, I eventually got a job. Uh, cleaning dishes in the kitchen and managed to get myself a flat um, and then I had a very brief spell at Hamilton Ackies just to finish the season and they offered me a contract but it was like 45 quid a week and I was making more than one shift cleaning dishes in the kitchen so I ended up sort of touting myself around a little bit and signed for Air United uh, I think I'd just turned 17 so I was first year 19s and very quickly sort of progressed into training with the first team. Um, and then I made my debut in January well, January 2009. I made my debut against Brecon. And then I had f- fleeting appearances in and out the team from there. But again, 
you know, all that anxiety that I had when I was 16 and struggling in the changing room, putting me into a male changing room at 18, it was it was just even worse. Um, you know, there was a lot of big characters at the time, Scotty McLaughlin, Mark Roberts, Ryan Stevenson, Dean Keenan, Alex Williams. There was a lot of really big characters at that time. It was a really good squad. Uh, but it was a tough, tough school. Um, we obviously got relegated in my first season. And I missed a chance on the last day of the season. It still haunts me to this day away to Morton. And uh, I just never, as I say, I could mentally I just could never cope with playing football professionally. Uh, I, I took defeats too badly. I took missing chances like the Morton one that I still can remember too badly. I took being left out of the squad and the team too badly. I just beat. I, I went through the phase of being self pity and, and beating my confidence up and and I didn't have the resilience now. I didn't have the resilience then that I have now. So I just blamed myself for all of it. Uh, and it, it probably ruined my my career. I hated football. I, I really quickly began to hate football at that age. Um, so after after two and a half years, I think, no three years, I was at Air. Um, I had a lot of short loans, Bell at Annan, but I remember one day uh, my last game in my loans, Bell at Annan, away down to Stranraer, and I got left out of the squad. And I kind of thought that was, I think it was still called the third division at that time, but League Two now. And I remember phoning. My uncle at the time and just saying, if I can't get in the squad at, at, at third division, then what chance have I got? And that was sort of the moment where I just knew that senior football wasn't going to be for me anymore. See, when you were that year then, and you were kind of as that kind of young player, and obviously dressing room was back in these days, you kind of hear different stories and that. Was it any kind of older player that maybe acted as a mentor or something or like that at all, or was it very much just? Boys, Do you know boys, what? Boys, uh, I think I think the boys would have. You know, I speak to a few of them now. Uh, I think they would have if I spoke to them. If I, if I'd gone to them and said what was going on, I think someone put would have put a, put an arm around me. But I mean, if you if you would ever speak to anyone that I played with at that time, I swear I never even said a word. Like, I used to go into change room. I wouldn't even speak. Um, like I just could, I, I was so riddled with the anxiety of oh I couldn't even bring myself to say hello to people half the time you know I just really struggled and it became a bit of a running a running joke and again none of it was personal it was just it's just football changing rooms it's it's what happens when you get 22 25 guys together like it's banter and I know that now but at the time as I say it felt so personal I hear all these stories and I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff and I hear boys, I hear all the stories of boys taking the mic out of each other, and I do it now, like in the, in the changing room, I'm one of the loudest boys in the changing room now, but when I was a kid, I, I just had no, I had no ability to cope with it, I didn't know how to handle it, I just really didn't know how to deal with it, I didn't, I didn't have that gallus attitude that, that some young boys have when they go in, like we give back a bit when first team players got on you, yeah, I just went right into my shell. And then when I went away for the place, I thought about it and thought about it, and I, I found it really tough. And maybe, you know, people would slag you for that, but that's just, that's just the reality of it. I just I just didn't fit in back then. So you turned obviously you were you were pretty down on the, the seniors by that point. What made you turn to the juniors? Uh, honestly, I suppose being fully honest, um, I was done with football when I left there, so 
I kind of knew in the January I was done with air. So, seeing out the last few seasons, I actually went out and loaned to the juniors at Girvan for a wee, time, a wee period. Hated it. I honestly hated it initially. Couldn't adapt to it. Uh, I remember just getting kicked all the time. I, I remember my first game, a boy picking me up and saying, you're not Air United now and stuff. And I was just like, oh, what is this? Like, I really downplayed the quality and the juniors didn't understand how good actually the quality of it was, to be fair. Um, but in the summer, uh, I turned 20 and I was done. Honestly, I had no interest in going back. And then Cumnock phoned me. Uh, Auckland like Talbot phoned me as well. Um, oh, you picked the wrong team then to go to. <laughs> I know. So I'll, t- I'll tell you why I didn't go. I didn't go to Talbot with Tucker because I knew I wouldn't play. I knew, given the success and that, that they had and the players they had at the time, I knew I wouldn't play and I, I wasn't going to junior football not to play. And I knew it yeah. come not under Stevie Farrell. Uh, I knew Faz would play me every week. And uh, come not offered me really good money. And as a 20 year old boy who had his own flat and was still working, uh, trying to make ends meet, I had to. I had, to, I had to take the money pretty much. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, it wasn't life changing or nothing, but it was good for part-time football. It was enough to pay um, my, rent, my rent and council tax at the time, pretty much. And that's it. that was that was what based my decision on. And uh, done a year at Cumnock, and again, it was very similar to Air United. The, a lot of big characters, like junior football characters, I think Willie Howie, Chick Conley, Stuart McDonald, Gavin Friels, you know, a lot of yeah. Players who had done really well in junior football, and uh, I, I hated it. Honestly, I hated that probably more than I hated air. Like that season, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. Um, but I just kept going. As I say, I needed the money at that time. Uh, we we stayed up. I scored the goal to keep coming up against Pollock. We went down to ten men and we scored on the breakaway. Um, uh, a fair corner. And we broke up apart in this gold, and that pretty much kept us up. So I have that memory from that spell. But I think I scored a hat in the Scottish Cup as well one day. And, uh, and they done a, the Daily Record came down and done a full page spread on me. So I always remember that as well. It was Big Ali Graham, who I think you've got on this week, haven't you? Or next week or in the coming weeks. Uh, yeah. So Big, Big yeah. Ali was, was reporting for Daily Record at the time. So he he done an interview with me after scoring. But it was either hat or four, I can't remember. but that's my only real two memories for that season. I, I honestly hated it. It wasn't until until leaving there that I probably enjoyed football again for a, for at least a period of time. And then you moved on to East Kilbride. Yeah, so East Kilbride came about. I've been there a couple of times now. So my uncle is the chairman at East Kilbride. And at that time, I left Cumnock in the summer, uh, and my uncle phoned me. Uh, he'd just taken over, so the clubhouse had just been burnt down, and the guy who owned it didn't have any insurance or anything. He'd done the he'd done the off, and the club was in. It was pretty much EK Fissel was going to die that summer unless someone stepped in. Uh, and my uncle stepped in, um, and he's still there to this day, and they've had. They've had the most treacherous seven, eight years since then. But I haven't seen the work that he put in uh, in the family connection. I went down for six months. And I went down and I tried to try and help. And they, they just weren't ready. It was, it was 
they brought in like not even a good amateur side. Uh, there were some really good players, like, really good boys there, but we just weren't ready for junior football. We were getting humped every week. Um, and I'd knocked back a couple of good offers in the summer to go there. So I think after about three or four months, maybe I kind of started saying that nah, I need to, I need to get out uh, and go and try and play somewhere. But I think we were in the second bottom league or something. I was like, I wanted to go and test myself again. And uh, Hurlford came in. Uh, Del McCulloch at Hurlford made an offer for me. I'd said no in the summer, but when he came back in, Hurlford was sitting third or fourth in the the second league of the juniors at the time. Uh, so I jumped at it. And I think I went there and played, I don't know, maybe 18, 19 games. Uh, I think I scored 17. Um, we went and won the league against all the odds. Now, at that time, we were competing with Kilburnley and Largs and Hurlford when they weren't spending anywhere near the money that they did in the years that followed. But we had such, it was such a good group. And like It was the first changing room I felt was all fitted in. Uh, absolutely loved it. And I just loved playing every week. And I was scoring pretty much every week. And I was only there for half, just over half a season. But I ended up winning play of the year. I think I won three trophies at the play of the year night. Um, just had such a good time. And then they sacked Del McCulloch in the summer. And I was like, this can't be happening to me. I've finally found somewhere where I feel at home and I've got rid of the manager. Yeah. Um, and a guy with all the connections. Aye, Del's a great guy. He's also in at Beave now. He's yeah, the, the one manager. Him and... Uh, he's probably, he probably got the best out of me in terms of the guy that I just... Every week, we were just desperate to impress him. I don't know what it was, if he's or... or what it was about him but there was just something that made me want to give absolutely everything for him um, and as I say I, I fitted into the changing room and I felt at home for the first time probably in my career I started to commit myself a wee bit uh, and it was confidence that I, I could probably put it down to you know as a, as a player when you're doing well and I was at the time when I was scoring confidence sort of helped me in the changing room I started to, to come out my shell uh, and I loved it and as I uh, John Craig, uh, I'm still pals with him now. He's got a lot to do with that. He was he's a lunatic, um, but what a player! I think he scored 200 odd goals for Beef before he ended up at Hurlford. But he brought me right out of my shell, and uh, I I just absolutely loved the time down there. But unfortunately, as I say, they got rid of Dell in the summer, and I kind of felt that I was disappointed in it. I when I tried to show a bit of solidarity with him and kind of said to the club, look, if that's how you're going to treat people, I kind of don't want to be here. Um, and they brought in Darren Henderson from Glen Afton and it just worked out that Hendo wanted to bring a couple of players for Glen Afton and Glen Afton wanted to sign me, so we managed to do a deal. Aye, we kind of turned around, obviously, because Henderson went the other way. Aye, aye, so he, Hendo came in and to be fair to Hendo, like, I'd done pre-season under him and I got on alright with him and stuff, but there was just a fr- underlying frustration for me that they'd done that to Dell. So I think Hendo had showed an interest in a few Gone Afton boys um, and Gone Afton at the same time it sort of showed an interest in me and Scott Adam. And between the clubs, they sort of worked out that uh, they would do a swap deal. Uh, and you remember the Arda Cup, which was the, the sort of pre season. League Cup tournament for the juniors at the time, so it was on the 
the Wednesday, the first day of that, I was pretty much sitting and just waiting to know whether I was going to Hurlford or Glenafton that night <laughs> to play. Um, and it, it, we got the deal done that day and I, I had to go and play for Glenafton against Luger. Aye, that's a, a nice trip in the summer board images. Aye, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, we didn't get a chance to sign the contract beforehand and um, all the Glenafton boys who were there at the time still talk about this game, but we get pumped 7-1 off at Luger. <laughs> that night <laughs> yeah that's bad times it's uh, it was a mixed match of a team flung together that day I think I think you and me and Scott, Scotty Adam playing who hadn't met the boys and hadn't even signed their contracts and all sorts of trials playing trying to, going after them trying to piece a team together after losing their manager and a lot of players and we lost 7-1 and I genuinely no word of a lie tried to sneak away without signing the contract <laughs> I'm honestly not joking I was like I was like, what have I let myself in for here? Um, and uh, John Stewart, the secretary, got a hold of me on the way out and made me sign something. <laughs> but I tell you what, the next two years were brilliant. Uh, I absolutely loved it down there. People still people take the piss out of me because I talk about it that much. But I've never been able to recreate the sort of two seasons I had down there. Um, I know, your, your first season... Going through that and getting to the Junior Cup final. Aye, it was unbelievable, as I say, for losing 7 1 at Luger, who we were a district league team at the time, to turn it around, getting to the Junior Cup final. I think I scored 12 goals in the run to the final, 11 or 12. Uh, it was amazing. The whole the whole Scottish Cup run was amazing. Uh, weirdly, we, we nearly got put out to Royal Albert. We were very, very close um, to to getting put out by Royal Albert in like the second round or something. We had to go through, had to go to a replay and go and beat them up up there. And uh, then after that, it was sort of seamless. Um, I think the best memories are probably Cumnock. Obviously, that's quite a, a rivalry. Yeah, we, we we drew one each at Cumnock. We gave away a penalty in the last minute. Uh, and they scored two guys and it was never a penalty handball and it was never a penalty and then the next week we play them at, at Glenafton and we go 1-0 down and then we get a penalty a uh, score we make it one each and then we get a man sent off after about 60 minutes and you're thinking no way in the quarter final as well um, we fancied ourselves big time we were better than them we knew that we'd beat them twice already I think and then I think we're about I don't know, 15, 10 minutes to go. I get a chance through one on one with the goalie, and I like slide it under him, but the ball rolls so slow. I can still see it just rolling so slow into the net, but the place absolutely erupted. Uh, and that's probably that's probably the best moment for me personally because I'd scored the two goals in the quarters to put us through. Um, and then obviously in the semi final, we beat Camelin over two legs. We had deflected winner with about six minutes to go or something as well, but. It was just amazing times. I loved the I loved the team. I loved the group of boys. Uh, again, I was I played. I done really well. I think I scored forty odd goals over the two seasons, um, and we done well in the league both seasons as well. I think that goes that often goes unnoticed, but I think we finished fifth and fourth, uh, and we won the Arda Cup in my second season against Talbot at Trun. We beat them two 0 Oh, beat them 2-0 yeah. down at Thrun and it was 2 going on about 5 to be fair um, but I, I've, great times I've been down there 
as, as I say, I've never really recreated that at that sort of level. I've had good times since then, but not at the sort of level I was playing at then, I don't think. Oh, I mean, some of the guys you played with then are still there. I, as I say, they went on and obviously done the treble, pretty much the core of the squad. Yeah. Um, I obviously left. I should never have left, and I say it all the time. And I still speak to Southend Potsy, the management team down there. I should never have left, but it coincided with me getting diagnosed with depression the first time. Uh, I've spoken a lot about the club that it was I was at, uh, you know, feigning injury for six weeks and all that. Uh, and the manager and the assistant pulling me in, and then being the first person I ever spoke to, that was going after and it was uh, Southend Potsy. And my head was all over the place and for whatever reason I decided that I was going to try something new. I shouldn't have, but at the same time, you know, I try and no regret these things. I met a lot of good people in the in the coming years and a lot of good friends, so. We need to talk you, well, we had the question, obviously we asked for questions <laughs> about the, from fans or uh, even family, so uh, yeah. I, your old mother-in-law giving you a wee bit of powers for that, uh, that chance in the, the Junior Cup final. Aye, it's, uh, it's a bad one to be fair. I hate talking about the Cup final because it, it still hurts, man. Like, like 20 minutes in, we gied away two pens, down 2-0 and a man down. And uh, I've been shifted to wide right and you're just like, this can't be happening after working this hard to get here. And I'd, had an, I'd been out injured for about six or eight weeks up leading up to it. I'd done my medial ligament and it was it looked at the time that I wasn't going to make it and I was I was seeing a physio every night trying to get myself fit and I, I wasn't fit but I was fit enough to get through it so I just felt like I can't believe all this is happening like probably the biggest game of my career I'm not even fully fit I hadn't played a game before it I trained for a week and a half I think uh, we go 2-0 down or a man down, I'm shifted wide right for the groundhog shift for the rest of the game and I get a chance and I should square it and there's a there's a freeze frame of it in the recording of the game and it's terrible from me Like, and he's one of my best mates as well, Stevie Miller's screaming for it in the middle of the goal and the goal he's moved near post, trying to cover his near post for me and if I square it it's a tapping and I end up just kicking it straight at the goalie Zero as a striker, do you even see him there? Or is your focus just on the goal? Uh, I don't think, I think I heard the shout. It was Stevie Miller and and Kenny, my street partner. I think I hear them shouting, I don't think I look up at them. Uh, I'm just, it's selfish, it was was 100% selfish. I thought I could score, and after I did, I didn't. but it's really bad, I'm sure. I think Margot says it's going... Uh, she must be working on something for Alba. Uh, so I think the footage might be on an upcoming programme. And if it was you, on honestly, Saturday. It was uh, the oh, stuff on Saturday. Well, that's it good. Junior no, one, no one would have recorded it. Then. But, uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got it. <laughs> but I think if, it, if it's in it... Because I thought as well, I thought oh, that's a good week as well getting you on. Uh, I don't know if you'd seen it, but I'd had 2010 to 2014 finals, and then they've got uh, 2015 onwards and the Saturday. And then uh, they showed the Talbot Hall game on Sunday. The, ne- the next day, me and my mate Miller, who was the guy who should have squared it, they were sitting in his house <laughs> with another boy for the team, and he, we were replaying the final. Like, I don't know why, but we were just watching it. 
and he took a freeze frame and took a picture of it, and it's on. It's it's all it is awful. It's the type of thing that I would cri- really criticise somebody for. So hopefully he's not seen it and freeze framed it again, took a picture because I don't need that getting out how bad that was. <laughs> Should have squared that hundred percent. Aye, there must be the frustration though as well with the penalties that were given against you because they were. Oh, the, the whole day. I think that's soft, I think. Uh, even as a Talbot fan, I think. They are. It, Big Chess does what Big Chess does. He's a bit rash. And, uh, Ross Robertson won't mind me saying he likes to fall to the ground. Um, and He's clever, Roscoe, to be fair. He's clever. And, and the, the frustrating thing for us as a team was we played at Hurlford, I think, a week and a half before the final at Hurlford, and Roscoe done the same to Chess in the, in the league game. And we'd spoken about it in the lead up to, to the final. And the big man gets caught with it. But, I mean, I'm not going to say too much because he's still done it going after and he's went picked up a Scottish Cup medal now. So I'm sure he's no overly fussed by it, but I still hold it against him. <laughs> aye. He definitely is a bit rash, aye. He's usually good for his card. Aye. But aye, good times anyway. So, aye, so definitely that's maybe if there was any regret about your career, it would be moving, moving on from there. I think so. I think that it just at the time when BS obviously got to BSC next. So that was when the Lowland League was saying, I think it might have been season two, but it was kind of forming. Like I've talked about earlier, like not being particularly interested anymore. But at that time, what was I, 23, maybe 24? Just turned 24. I'd been in training at Queen's Park uh, under Gus McPherson and kind of felt like maybe I had a wee chance, but I felt like. Uh, the best chance I was going to get was maybe in the Lowland League. So maybe going and doing well there would be a better shot window in the juniors. That was probably my thinking. Um, also, I'd had the, I'd obviously had the, the wee period with depression and stuff. and I just felt like maybe just changing a wee change might have helped me. But that's, that's what my thinking was at that point in time. And Don't get me wrong, at BSC I met four or five guys who are now probably my best mates. Uh, uh, it wasn't great at the time. I signed for Ian King and then two games into the league season. We won our first two league games, I think. Um, and then he leaves to go to Airdrie. We, I think he went to be chief exec at Airdrie or something crazy. That's right, yeah. Uh, and, uh, so he leaves two games in and his assistant took over. And we were, in, we were so inconsistent as a, as a team. We had good players, but we were so inconsistent. But I, I, I feel like I'd done all right, I think. I maybe scored 10 or 12 goals in half a season. Uh, I scored in the Scottish Cup against Talbot, BSC's first ever Scottish Cup goal. Yeah. Um, we drew two each up at Mary Hill. I uh, took absolute pelters for the Talbot fans that day because my gone after background. But I scored, I think somebody goes to play a back pass to Andy Leishman and I napped in and took it around him. Uh, and we drew three, but then Talbot battled us 5 0 down there. I think we were 3 0 down in 15 minutes. It just sort of showed the levels for me, though, that the Lowland League at that time was still well behind the juniors. Yeah. See, um, at that point, then I'm moving from the juniors to Lowland League. Do you have then ideas of maybe getting back to playing senior, or was it just. Aye, like- that was my idea. That, that, because I'd had the wee spell training in McQueen's Park, um, and then BSC came in, my idea was to go to go back senior or I felt like put like, like the Lowland League was the best shot window for me to maybe get back senior which was that was my purely my thinking um, as it turned out it never really happened but I, I feel like I'd done alright at BSC as I say I scored 
fairly consistently. We were just really inconsistent as a team. Kingy left and then his assistant took over. And then I think it was early December because we had a Christmas night out the next day. Actually, we flew to Belfast. So we played Cumberland Colts away. Um, we, I can't remember the actual result, but we got our, we got our handed to us. Um, and there was a massive bust up in the changing room. Uh, and the committee decided to get... Well, I, think, I don't know if they got rid of the manager or the manager walked one of the two. And then we were looking at potentially a third manager coming in, and it wasn't even December. It wasn't even the end of December yet, and it just all felt a bit all over the place for me. And no disrespect to the club intended with this comment, but uh, we were playing in front of maybe ten guys or, or ten people, and some of the kids for, for the community club. And I'd gone for going after a few hundred every week to that, and it just felt soulless. That's the God's honest truth of it. It felt soulless to me. I, just didn't feel like the type of environment I, that I enjoyed and I actually almost ended up back at Glen Afton. We came very close and then it saddens me to say it but I'm happy enough to admit it. Uh, EKFC came in and the offer they made to BSC for me blew Glen Afton out the water and the offer they made to me personally in terms of money blew Glen Afton out the water and I just felt like I'd, I'd give it another six months to see if the only thing would work out for me. And that was probably the worst move in my career. <laughs> it was I, I absolutely hated it. I made my debut and uh, set up a goal and I hit the bar and felt like I'd come off and I had a decent debut and I played 70 minutes or something. And then the manager on the Monday night played me 90 minutes against Ashfield, right wing back. And I was like, "What? What are you doing?" What? He's like, "You need play." <laughs> I was like, "You need." He said to me something about needing fitness. And he's probably right. I think I hadn't played for a few weeks or something, right? But I've just played 17 this Saturday. You give me Sunday off, and then you play me right wing back in a massive park at K-Part, and I end up snapping my hamstring. I came off for a few minutes to go, snapped hamstring. That's me injured. Only played one game. I end up out for six weeks or something. Eventually, get worked my way back. They get Celtic in the Scottish Cup, and I'm cup-tied. So devastated about that. Obviously, miss out on all that. Have to watch that from the sidelines. That was heartbreaking as a Celtic fan. Um, and eventually, when I come back from injury, I just he never gives me a chance again. I just don't get anywhere near the team. I'm coming off the bench every week, and I just I never seen eye to eye with him after he done that. I, like making me play a Monday night at right wing back against Ashfield. Um, I almost blamed him for the injury, which probably wasn't right, but it's just how I felt in my mind at that time. And then when I came back. We just never seen eye to eye and ended up before the season was even finished. We played BSC on a in a midweek game and uh, he puts me in. I've not played in weeks. Like I've been coming off the bench for weeks on end and he puts me in a midweek game. I've just travelled through for Edinburgh, stuck in traffic for like nearly three hours and he starts me. And then he whips me off at half time saying that I've not done enough to earn my place. Uh, I, I just said to him in the change room, I'm done with you. Like it's a, it's a terrible attitude, and I know it is, but I'm as well telling the truth. Like a few of the boys tried to tell me not to do it, and I was like, Nah. I was like, I'm no, I'm no interested in this. I don't, I don't want to be here. And I just walked out and never went back. Ended up, my uncle who runs EK Fissel came in and took me on loan till the end of the season. Sort of saved me and got me out. And I went down there and played till the end of the season, and ended up just signing there in the summer. A few of my mates signed 
uh, they won the bottom league at juniors at the time. My uncle sort of just said to me, like, give us a full season and get us out of this league. Uh, so I got a few mates down and uh, we went and got promoted and that. That was probably the closest I've come to Glen Afton. I, I mean, the, the standard wasn't as good, but in terms of the squad we had, most of the boys were far too good for that level and that's been proven on how much they've all went on uh, and, and jumped up. You know, most of them now playing at, at a higher level. Uh, but if, had the pitch been better, I think East Kilbride pitch is infamous for being awful, but... Um, so the that was so- the village... Aye, aye, aye. Show, but the season was so start start for us. We, we would play a game, then we wouldn't play for four or five weeks. So it really cost us. I think the only time we got a good run of games, we played night like ten games in about four weeks at the end of the season, and we won eight, drew one, and lost one. And I think if we'd have played consistently like that, we would have probably had a similar. We would have had a similar form. I think we would have probably won the league, but. In the end, we ended up going up on the last day uh, after putting together that unbelievable run of winning eight out of the last ten. Or so. I think it was eight out of the last time we went and won. But as I say, the squad we had, like myself, Kieran Johnson had come for BSC, Ross McKinnon had come for BSC was, and had played at Mullerwell, uh, John Craig, who'd been at Beeve and Hurlford, uh, Ryan Carnmath, who'd been at BSC, now at Irving Meadow, Con Boyle had been at a good level. He's now playing at Blantyre in the top league. You know, there was a lot of good players. Uh, a lot of them were players I had played with in the past and sort of begged to come down and help us. And but uh, Alan McFadden had been at Clyde and uh, is now at Dunny Pace, still playing well. So it was just a really good squad. A squad that was too good for that level in, in fairness. And um, I wrote a lot of local boys as well. So we had a lot of nights out and it was fun. It was like it was a great change room. Um, really, really fun. What about tonight? So, what are you going to Aye, aye. So, we'd, we'd find ourselves in the village most Saturdays, to be honest. Um, obviously, we had, I think they had a sponsorship with the, 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 the Monty at the time, the pub. Yeah, aye, aye. Uh, We'd find ourselves there after games most Saturdays. And then, because we were all mates, like, as I said, five or six of the boys that came down, I was mates with through football and stuff. So, we all got on, and then the boys who were already at the club, we all sort of fitted in. There was no, there was a real togetherness about it. Uh, so we were out quite often, actually. Um, that was that just a good, the clubs in East Kilbride. Now I used to go. Good bunch. What was that? It was just a good bunch. The club was uh, downtown. It used to be Centre Point, and then Aye, Centre Point. Aye. Uh, changed to downtown. Um, I'm sure we had a couple of nights in there. A couple of nights back in there, from where you are. What's that? Sorry. Did you venture to school ride for nights out? No. Where you are? No, I've only been where I um, where I'm now for the last five or six years, and obviously um, got a wee ones. So it's not been. We've been to school ride a couple of times, but not for a night out. Not for a night out. Good softballs in school ride. Yeah, no. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> there is some good good trampoline places. Any softballs. Aye. I know the one you're talking about, Chris. <laughs> it's a couple. <laughs> Is it not? No, I can't remember off the top of my head. Only bought one. That's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably get a 
I would it shows ages definitely. You're talking about the club and he's going to be talking about soft play. Change days. I remember when I was younger, this was secondary school, but when the ice rink opened up, you were there every uh, weekend. Even if you were going ice skating or not, you were up there anyway. Aye, uh, every Friday night for me. Up skating. Never put a pair of skates on, just going round and. Lunching. Aye, trying to. Trying to. Never ever put a pair of skates on. I didn't do the, uh, the ice rink at East Kilbride, but I did the one at the time capsule. But that's going back 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> I went at the time capsule one and all. Uh, I'm not good at ice skating. I think I only ever went ice skating once, and it was only because I was trying to uh, go get with a girl. Bye. East Kilbride was a, a good place when the shopping centre opened. You know that. Uh, but after that, then you were on to back up to the top flight. I back. Well, no, actually, we Irvine Meadow had been relegated at that time. Oh, yeah. So in fact, they'd had they'd already had a season, uh, sort of regrouping. I think after whatever happened, I don't know the full ins and outs, but obviously they had some they had some troubles. So they'd had a wee season of regrouping, and then they brought in Ross Wilson, who was my assistant at. Was the assistant manager at BSC when I was there? Um, young coach, they were trying to take a different direction. Uh, uh, he brought me in, and my wee mate Ryan, Carl Murphy's Bride, and Con Boyle actually. All three of us went for EK Fistle Meda, along with a bunch of other boys. And, and in fairness, Ross put a good team together. Uh, it didn't quite work out for him for a whole host of reasons, but. He brought good players to the club who, and a lot of them still there now, doing well. And obviously we got promoted, but uh, I started off the season really well actually. And then I went away and got married. So I, I think I missed three weeks and came back. Um, I think I scored five and six or something when I came back. And then I done my knee ligament at Canberra's Lang Rangers in a game where we got absolutely battered and ended up down to nine men. And I've not played for three weeks and Ross puts me on. And uh, I think I got into a 50-50 and I knew something wasn't right. Um, and then uh, the footage of it go. I come to drop shot to take take the ball for my throw-in. And I take a touch and I go to move my standing leg from the grass and it just doesn't come with me. And uh, I just go down. No instantly something's not right. Turns out I've done ligaments in my knee and I spend, I think I was out for... I think it was 13 months before I played in a full game again. Um, the boys go on to get promoted and stuff. Obviously, Ross ends up leaving. I think Ross leaves that Monday night after it all happened. Eh? So I get injured the Saturday. Ross gets sacked on the Monday. Um, and I'm sort of in limbo thinking, what did I do? Like, I'm waiting to get a scan and stuff, but pretty much know that my season's over. I think initially, actually, I was told that I could have been out for up to 18 months. Um, it ended up not quite as bad as we first feared, but uh, I have to watch from the sides as the boys end up going to get promoted. Um, the club end, I actually cancelled my contract, but there was an understanding that I'd always go back anyway, so I would get down to games when I could manage it and stuff. Um, uh, Brian McGinty came in and took them up through the playoffs. They beat Arfully. Uh, but I was 
Gint's had a few players, but I think Gint's just came in and got us organised, or got the boys organised and got them a bit fitter, but I think there's probably, Roscoe probably deserves a bit of credit for some of the players that he brought in. And then I get back running about the summertime, would be 2018 now, uh, and I go back and sign the meda again and slowly build up. Um, we lose, I think, with the first eight games of the season, we lost seven and drew one. <laughs> uh, it was, just, I don't know what happened. I really don't know what was going on. We just, it just wasn't clicking for us every week. We were just, and we took a few pastings, like battered it up at Renfrew. Um, we got battered by Largs seven one, I think, or seven 0 something like that. Uh, beat final for Renfrew, beat f- by Pollock twice. You know, we took a few really, really bad results. And honestly, in my mind for it, there was a period of time where I just felt we we're done. Like, we're nine games into the season and we are going down, and we're going down with our record low points at this rate. And then uh, I came on at the Scottish Cup, we played St Anthony's away, and I came on and scored two. And it was the first time that I sort of probably felt fully fit again having had the knee the knee problem and the next week we played co-winning Rangers in the league at Meadow Park and uh, I scored I think it was my first start in 13 months or something I scored and we won 1-0 and that just changed our season I think from there we only lost four more games or something ridiculous like just totally flipped the season um, I had a wee purple patch and then I tore my groin and uh, must have been November time or something, October, November time. And uh, by the time I got back, it was after New Year. Um, and I never really, I was working like mad and I just never really got back into it fully. I wasn't really training much and stuff. Um, obviously, we're now approaching the time where I end up nearly taking my own life. So from February to April time, I was just sort of, training when I could, I was working away a lot and I was just going on Saturdays and sitting on the bench to try and make up the numbers for Gintz pretty much, uh, helping out where I could but I wasn't really making much of an impact if I'm honest um, but we ended up finishing the season pretty strongly, I think we finished fifth or something in the Super League uh, which given where we were after nine games was remarkable but uh, that was testament to to the boys and, and Gintz and the staff like just we just didn't give in. It would have been easy to to fold after the first nine games, but there was just a desire and a, a real belief that we were much better than we were shown, and eventually we turned it round. But uh, unfortunately for me, obviously, ah, it's a brilliant club. Uh, honestly, brilliant. As I say, if if I didn't end up in hospital, I'd likely still be there today. But um, really good setup. Still got a great crowd. I mean, they're a hard crowd. <laughs> they're used to they're used to winning everything and, and winning every week. So at times it was difficult. Uh, they would get on your case. They would very quickly get on your case. But but when things were going well, they were great. Um, and I loved Gintz was Gintz was so good to play under. Gave you such confidence. He 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 gave you instructions to the tee. He was very thorough. Um, and he, he was very much just about winning the, win the game at, at any cost. Um, I think certainly in junior football, there's a lot of coaches who maybe overcoach a little bit and 
you've got players who are working 40 hours a week and coming to football like football's an escape for them I think it needs to be it needs to be served as that it needs to be quite probably a lot less demanding in terms of coaching aspect of it and just working on the real basics and, and getting boys fitness and, and sharpness and Gintz was really good for that his training was simple uh, it was always high tempo uh, and uh it probably propelled us on to have probably a really good season in the first season back, especially after the start. I, I dare say everyone would have written us off after nine games um, and we really, really turned it around. Do you still keep in touch with like, the um, year old boss um, even now? I still speak to most of them. Like most managers, I think... Most managers, most managers would say that I was always pretty good. I was always a pretty good person to have around the place, um, especially in that, in sort of from my mid twenties onwards. Like I've always, you know, I'm always hardworking, and uh, I think if you can, if you can ha- get my mind right, if my mind's right and stuff, I, I always sort of produce on the park. And I think most managers would say that, and I, I do. I keep in touch with most of my managers now. I think a lot is driven as well because because I've been so honest about my mental health issues and, and obviously I've had injury problems as well I think people probably feel a certain level of sympathy for me especially managers so I always end up pretty close to most of them and I think I keep in touch with most of them uh, I messaged in about, only about a week ago or so um, trying to find out the goss and where he's going to end up after leaving Meda but I think he'll end up doing well for himself in the game I would say So now you're at, uh, well, you're at St Rocks, but we'll see what happens once the things get back to normal and when and yeah. whatever everyone's going to play out. What would you like to achieve? Um, I think the St Rocks thing's come about, it's five years in the making, in fairness. Uh, Andy Cameron's been on me every summer for about five years and I've always wanted to play there and the honest reason is probably there's a very very obvious Celtic connection and I'm a Celtic fan uh, yeah, so there's that Jimmy McGrory Park may have something there <laughs> <laughs> there's obviously that appeal I think people are honest enough and, and that's probably out in the open enough to, that it's safe to admit that I think as well the thing about St Rocks is they do so much good work in their community uh, it's probably well known in around Glasgow that that part of the city isn't uh, it's, it's fairly deprived and and there's some fairly rough and t- tough areas and so Rocks are really well engaged in the community uh, they do some really good work both you know some of it shared and some of it kept quiet but that really appeals to me as well um, I've spoken to Andy and at the club about that um, they, they've started to look at mental health initiatives and uh, they do something called the Rock Talk every Sunday where they encourage people to go down to the pitch and put on tea and coffee and stuff and try and get pe- try and get people talking. Uh, I'm currently speaking to Andy about maybe time to tackle on some rocks, doing a wee partnership and things like that. So that that appeals to me, the Celtic thing appeals to me. I think they get such a good crowd for the juniors. I think, again, it, it's so well known, but they get, I think their average this year was something five, six hundred, something like that. Um, which for that level of football is incredible. Uh, only really rivaled by Pollock and Talbot in the league, so yeah. Rocks obviously aren't in the top league and weren't, but their crowds are fantastic. So that that's what 
appeal to me in going there. Um, but we'll see what happens post-lockdown and stuff. But in terms of what I want to achieve next, I, I always like to be competitive. Uh, I know I've spoken about, you know, maybe wanting to enjoy it, but you, you can never take that competitive edge away from someone who plays football. There is always that. So you want to go into this new conference and uh, however it looks and, and, and compete at the top end of it and be winning games. You know, I'm a striker. I want to be winning games and dominating games and scoring goals. I always have my goal targets at the start of seasons and stuff. And, and the thing I love about football now is, for me, my wee boy comes every every week. Um, he tags along with me every week. And, you know, he looks at me as a... Uh, it makes me emotional thinking about it. But as a real hero, even coming up to Faltus and he would sit in the dugout with a gaffer and that. And, uh, but he would think, like... That that to him is like me playing at Celtic Park, you know, turning out and watching me somewhere like that, and he he sees me as some sort of hero for that. So to make him proud, to to continue to give him those memories and and have him sort of remember what it was like to go watch dad play football. So I'm going to hang on for a couple of years, so he's old enough to remember that, uh, and hopefully see me score goals and stuff like that. So I think that's my main focus. Probably is just sort of playing for enjoyment and and playing to. Hey, there'll always be that competitive edge, but it's 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 more more for me about enjoying it now after after everything I've been through in life, both mentally and and with the physical injuries over the years. Uh, I just want to play football with a smile on my face. But to do that, you need to be playing at a decent club and and having success probably. Yeah, I think you've always got to have um, a competitive edge um, when when you're playing that sport. I mean, it's. If, if you say, I mean, obviously you want to uh, go and enjoy it, but anyone who says that they go on the pitch only to enjoy it and they don't want to win, I'm sorry about the line. I mean, even when I play my Friday night football, yes, I enjoy it, but ultimately I want to win first. <laughs> you know? um, so, uh, good luck with um, St. Rocks when it does um, come back up here, and I hope it works out well for you. Thank you. Any particular games you look forward to in that conference? Obviously, you've got your old team. Aye, so, obviously, EK Fissel are in there. Uh, Wishaw are in there. My good mate, Dunny at Wishaw. It'll be good to see him come against him. A few of the Falthouse boys just went there as well. Uh, Dunny was the assistant at Falthouse, so he's t- t- a couple of boys. So, uh, we'll see see them again. Uh, Peters Hill, I think, is probably a decent game. Uh, I expect that Kilsaif will probably be strong. Uh, Drum Chapel look as though they're putting together a good squad as well. Yeah, they do. Coming right. up from coming up from the amateurs, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, no bad goal yeah. coach as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a he's a terrible manager, so he better be better at being goalie coach. I tell you that. I see. I think you've told us a secret to the your success. The success at fault is it wasn't John. It was Rory. He was managing. Uh, it, it was uh, it was it was Rory and Dunny. I think. Um, <laughs> nah, I think I see. See, to be fair, in no word of a lie, we, we would train at Faltus and Dunny would take our training and Jai see by way of talking his goalies being a wee weirdo goalie union. Like, <laughs> so, so he's probably so good to just taking the goalies and no worrying about the actual football. Just tell the goalies to catch the ball and keep it in the net. Um, <laughs> so I think that, that probably suits him. It's good to see him back in the game. I don't think, you know, he's obviously come through his troubles and he's still, he's still, he's still battling. Uh, I don't think I... I a sustained period of time out of football would have done him any good so 
it's good to see him getting started back up somewhere. But hopefully, I'm scoring past like he has to have to go. He's anyway. <laughs> We move on to the quick fire stuff. Is there anything else? Aye, the quick fire stuff solves a, a good way. Yeah, round this off. Um, you also mentioned being a Celtic fan. Um, what was the first Celtic trip that you had, and what's been the the best and worst Celtic kits that you've ever had? Uh, I think the first one I had was probably the Bumblebee strip. What was that, 97 or something? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the first one I certainly remember anyway. Uh, the best one, um, I mean, I don't know if it counts, but the 1988 centenary step from before I was born, which I've just ordered and got the the retro version of it. I mean, that's probably the, my favourite strip, even though technically I bought the retro version it wasn't the original, but that's an unbelievable top. Uh, the worst Celtic stuff I've had Oof. I can't remember the season but there was a green it was like a green away one with a yellow tartan stripe down it maybe Neil Lennon 2011 or something along those lines that wasn't the nicest strip but I had it anyway um, and I'm just thinking more again about the best trip. I think I'd probably fling in the Black Magic top from about 2004 as well. I had Petrov 19 in the back of that. Uh, that was right up there. So did that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's that, that's a phenomenal trip. That one. I like I like the home top back year as well. The hundred years of hoops. That was my that's still my favourite Celtic kit. It was a phenomenal yeah. one. You've not been out on your kit yet, have they, Celtic? We've not seen anything to do this one, Jack, no? No, no. Yeah. I've been released I, first today. Aye. Um, not exactly the most flattering um, of pictures for <laughs> the away kit, was it? No. I would say the away kit's nicer than the home kit, though. I don't know what's going on with the white collar and the white sleeves. I don't, I'm not kidding that no. at all. But the away no. kit's all right, apart from it clearly stops where the sponsor goes. It's as if it's been, like... Printed on down the way. That picture as well. Was it McKenna? I think it's mm-hmm. just whoever sanctioned that picture should be taken out and beaten. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I don't see me rushing out to buy the the home kit for my boy. Um, it's not nice. Um, but the way kit, as you say, was looked okay up until the salt Um, but I think that's just too big. But yeah, not our best efforts. <laughs> I mean, not playing it until 21, 22, behind you, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Did Celtic not announce the Adidas um, sponsorship, um, which I think many people knew was coming like, on the day that uh, lockdown was confirmed? Uh, and like, the Celtic Rangers game, well, the Celtic Rangers game was postponed. That was the day, wasn't it? Uh, it was that week, certainly. It was like pretty much the day that everything froze, they announced that. Uh... But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing the kit. Probably not less looking forward to the price of it. Um, I suspect it might be a bit cheaper, a bit, a bit more expensive than New Balance. Sorry, and we're currently we've been doing this thing with Rory that we buy every Celtic strip, like try to make a wee collection of them. So, buy it, and they've now started releasing three every season. 
I remember, oh. you used to get the home strip for two years, but no. So, not looking forward to that expense. It used to be you get the home kit for two years and away kit for two years and it would alternate which one was new. So you only yeah. had to buy one a year. Then you had to buy three a year. Because uh, I thought at one stop. point they brought in a law so that the clubs couldn't change it every year, but then clubs seemed to just no bother with it. They just changed it yeah. anyway. I don't think that ever existed, it? I thought it did, because I thought they were trying to say at one point that it was so. Like for people maybe that were struggling, obviously kids want the, the newest things and all that and the newest tops. They were trying to kind of say, all right, well, maybe we need to try and look at being socially conscious. But. I know Aberdeen for a long time. It used to be the home kit was, um, you know, every two years and um, the away kit was the same and it would be like, um, so they'll only change one a season. But Aberdeen, they meant to change in the home kit every season and the away kit usually every second, although sometimes they bring the third kit as well. It's, it's just too expensive. I mean, it's it used to be like, um, you know, the top was £40. Now the top's like 60 um, Well, for the adult version. Um, and yeah. even the, you know, the kids' ones, you've got to buy the full set. You can't just buy the top. And that, that's £40 for the full set. I don't know what it's like it sells it, but um, I think, I imagine yeah, it's been a bit similar. similar. Yeah, it's roughly the same. Eh? 42 quid, I think we are. I, I don't think I've bought a new top for years, I, like I, I, the, the most recent ones I've bought have been towards the end of the season when the place has been slashed. And even then, it's only for playing football because I'm old. Too old for them these days. <laughs> See, I've always started getting them again recently because I'm a kind of member, like I paid money each month, kind of thing. That's one reason why I get a kit. You get a free kit as part of it. So you pick where you want home and away. But other than that, I've no hard thoughts with many Aberdeen tops until then. Uh, I mean, the last one I bought, that was purely because I bought my son one as well. So he wanted to be the same as me. So it was it was for that reason, rather than I actually needed one, or I wanted one. Uh, so I don't know about you, like, even when you go to football, if I go to football, I tend to not wear a kit. Or maybe I'll wear it in the house if I'm watching a game. But no, if I'm going out, because I think if you go to the pub afterwards, and sometimes folk won't let you in with football colours, so I don't bother. I usually wear, um, no an Aberdeen t-shirt um, or a Scotland t-shirt very rarely do I um, replica top on these days um, polo shirts are well either aye and who were your favourite um, Celtic players growing up uh, Henrik Larson is the obvious one um, I loved Nakamura when I was a wee bit older just loved the way he played football um, and Stan Petrov weirdly uh, I signed for Celtic at pro youth level when I was 10 or 11, can't remember, but it was Stan Petrov's agent or, or one of his advisors in Scotland ran like a football academy. Uh, and I got picked up from that and, and put into the Celtic youth setup. And there was a newspaper article at the time of uh, Stan Petrov's advisor running this and me getting picked up in the and put into the academy so I ended up doing an, I'd done like a newspaper interview with my family in Stan Petrov and we got invited round to his house to do it so just loved him even more after that I think everybody's got a Stan Petrov story in somewhere in Glasgow isn't it? everybody I know seems to have one even yeah. non-Celtic fans have a Stan Petrov story <laughs> Who's the favourite manager that you played, Dunbar? 
Who was your favourite manager that you played under? Because you've always played under quite a few. Uh, probably Dale McCulloch at Hurlford, as I say. Dale just got an extra 5-10% out of me. Um, uh, so he's probably he's probably the one that I most enjoy playing under. And then short spirits, short spell, because I end up leaving. But as I say, Craig McEwen, Southie, Dunnett Gunnafton, has obviously went and done really good things. But we knew, we played alongside Southie and then when he took the manager's job, he just knew he was destined to do well. Uh, so I probably they too. Aye, what was your what would you say was your career highlight? Uh, I, I mean, there's a couple. I think I scored in my first professional goal. Uh, maybe at the time it didn't feel like it, but looking back, you know, sort of realising that dream, I think it's easy to downplay it. But I'm sure so many young boys up and down the country and people and guys up and down the country would would give anything to to have the opportunity to do that. So doing that up at Elgin. Um, and then the junior football, getting to the Scottish Cup final, but from a personal perspective, like scoring the two in the quarters against Cumnock, um, when we're down to 10 men, like, I've never experienced that reaction like that when the second goal went in. We like pie chat on this uh, podcast. What's your favourite pie? Uh, see, I knew this was coming. I don't actually eat pies anymore because I'm vegetarian, and I don't right. like cheese, so I don't even have a macaroni pie. What? You don't like your vegetarian, and you don't like cheese? I know it's a bone of contention in my house as well. I get a lot of stick for it. <laughs> my son's vegetarian, but he could not live without cheese. But I'll, I'll tell you even more. Though so I'll eat pizza. No, I'll have a wee bit of cheese on it, but you'll notice that I always load up in the toppings so that the cheese is literally oh. just to hold the toppings in place. Oh, man, that's soft. I'm cheese. No, no, nah, cheese is like my missy's favourite food and uh, she kind of got her head around it. She hasn't been able to for a long time now. And then when I went vegetarian like a year and a half ago, she's like, you're going to try something like even halloumi or something. I tried it and I was like, that's not for me. No. No. So no, but previously, I mean, it's only a year and a half of vegetarianism, I know what a pie tastes like, so there's always a steak pie, man. I'm trying to think if we've asked you before, because the quick fire stuff, favourite beer? Favourite beer you haven't? Uh, Moretti or a Peroni? Good uh, choice. One of the two. Yes, good choice. I like Moretti. Aye, bit expensive for by the pint though. But oh, aye, aye, we've had that. <laughs> recently as well, aye, it is. Aye. But aye. The old Tesco, six cans for a fiver, it's ideal. Aye, um, I had a couple of Moretti's all the weekend actually, but aye, Moretti and Peroni. What's the best dressing room prank you've witnessed or been part of? Oh. Can I, so I tried to have a wee think about this because I mean, I've seen some nasty stuff in the dressing room, but no sort of stuff that I really want to share. Uh, <laughs> just because I might... I mean, I think... It's probably not a dressing room prank, but this is a, it's a, it's a decent... It's a funny story. The first time I got called up to the first team at air was a Scottish Cup tie away to Devrinville, and we went away overnight, so we goes up on the bus on the Friday, uh, stay overnight, play again the Saturday, 
Um, I didn't play anything, but coming back down the road in the bus, I think we won 1-0 or 2-0. It was a horrible game anyway. I come back down the road and bus stops are the usual. The boys go and get crates of beer and all that. And I didn't drink it this time. Like, I never drank until I was like 21 or something. So I, wasn't, I didn't drink it this time. I'm going to be the first team for the first time, so I'm definitely not doing anything out of hand. But used to get picked up at the Crowwood Hotel and Steps, and the bus was absolute carnage. So by the time we get to the Crowwood, like, it's it's an absolute riot. And uh, Dean Keenan, who... If you've had anyone who's played with him, right, Dino is <laughs> mental. He's mental. He's just a, he's one of the greatest guys I've ever met, but he's a lunatic. <laughs> but we get back to this hotel and steps, and there's a wedding on, and Dino walks up to the bar and just his slips, like just his pants, and he's tra- he's trying to order a drink at the bar at his wedding with the bride and groom getting pictures taken and stuff. We're all like, what is he doing? And he's the barman started kicking me. He's like, what do you mean? Why are you kicking me? You're like, you know, he's kicking at the bar in your pants trying to get a beer. Um, bye. There were some mental things in that air change room. Like, no wonder I found it so tough, honestly. Some of the characters and the guys who were like Dino, Alex Williams, Scott McVock, and Mark Roberts, but like, it was mental. Um, but yeah, that's probably that's probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Did you know? See, uh, I think it was Tam McManus here in the week tweeting about being peed on in the shower. That was Dino's welcome to everyone. Just piss on you in the shower. Welcome to the club. And yet, folks, uh, they like him as well. It's... Oh, he's hilarious. He's such a and he's got such a good heart as well. But he's no right. I don't know if you've seen him on Twitter, but. He's doing the cameo stuff for now. I actually seen him uh, down in, I think he downed a bottle of Moretti and then a, a full glass of Baileys or something. I was just like, Jesus Christ. Uh, he's a, luna- a lunatic of a man, but uh, a funny, funny guy. He loves the pelos as well with the football. He doesn't care. Just... Nah, he doesn't care at all. Um, but aye, all done a drink at that. Well, there's a wedding ongoing at a fairly upmarket hotel in Steps, walking in in your pants. Um, <laughs> that's that's one of the best things I've ever seen. <laughs> What's been your... Uh, you've been watching many good shows during lockdown? Uh, much like most people, I'm obsessed with The Last Dance. Aye. Last night, last night. Obviously... I was just a kid when Michael Jordan was around, but I was always been aware of him, like everyone know who he is, and sort of knew that he was probably the greatest basketball player ever. But I'm just obsessed with his mentality and and his attitude. Um, that's just it's it's I'm in awe of it. It's unbelievable, you know, just yeah. that desire to be the best to the point where making up things in his own head just to get himself riled up to go and perform is incredible. Have you guys watched it as well? No, I've not seen, as I said the other night, the only Michael Jordan thing I've seen Netflix recently with Space Jam. But, oh, um, but no, I've not had the chance to, to see it. Um, the series that me and my missus um, caught up on was uh, Friday Night Dinner. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Aye. I, I like that. That'd get better as it went on, I think. Aye. Well, I started watching Last Dance after the Arnold the other night saying about it. Um, I can see why it would divide opinion because obviously Michael Jordan is that focused on that and then 
there's been stories about maybe borderline bullying or whether it was just yeah. total will to win, but uh, it's fascinating so far. I mean, last night yeah, I kind of switched it on. I thought I want to watch one episode before going to bed, watch three, and I was like, uh, very, uh, very... How many episodes are there? Ten in total. Ten, Because eh? um, again, I remember watching it, and, like, growing up, I remember watching it in Channel 4 and playing, like, basketball game in the SNES and stuff like that. And the likes of Rodman and Pippin and Jordan and just start. Aye. Aye, good. I've tried to get into basketball occasionally and it's just not my thing. Although I do remember sitting in a bar in New York at one point watching the, the Boston Celtics and having to keep my, my, my voice down because I was kind of excited to watch the Boston Celtics win. <laughs> New York, there's a bit of a rivalry class. <laughs> I would say though, as a sports fan, I think you would like it, I think. So it's got things that cross over in terms of just that either will to win in the team aspect and the off probably the off the court stuff that you maybe wouldn't been aware of, but like football with the yeah. corruption and folk maybe using sly ways to get players and stuff like that and that. It's good. Do they have statements? Uh, well, no. <laughs> but as they've got a guy that does the recruitment, uh, uh, technically. And he basically gets bullied off the players. Aye, aye. It's, uh, I wouldn't trust him, would you? He's a bit of a weasel, to be fair. But. Yeah. And like, aye. Because even the contract situation as well, they basically, once you've got a contract, that was it. It's not getting renegotiated, even if you become better. Mad uh, Jim McLean deals. Remember <laughs> Jim McLean at Dundee United? They used to give players like 10 year contracts. Aye. What's your um, what's the favourite podcast you listen to? Oh, SFF podcast if you ever heard that. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's why we, that's why you keep you keep getting asked back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Every time I've heard that quote asked, it's usually asked us accept this one, obviously. It's perfect tonight. I'm sure of <laughs> Um I mean there's a few right now, so I'll just quickly ream some off. Uh, Blethered by Sean McDonald is really good. Um, the I'll, I'm obsessed with Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, he's like an entrepreneur type motivational speaker. I'm obsessed with listening to him in the morning to get me going. Uh, there's a podcast actually, not just saying it because I was on it the other week, but Man Marking. Um, boys from uh, a couple of Tranmere friends who have started a podcast around getting people to speak about mental health and football. Uh, that's been really good. Um, listening to that, I'm honestly like my podcast intake is a joke right now. I'm like seven, eight hours a day just listening to things. Uh, I'm avoiding all the Scottish football ones right now because I'm bored of it. Like Clyde SSB, and honestly, yeah. I just can't be bored listening yeah. to people anymore yeah, talk about lot. things. Um, so I'm sort of avoiding them. Drunk therapy is good. It's a good laugh. Uh, Couple of mates from Glasgow, um, drinking and, and ha- having a laugh. Um, what else? The High Performance Podcast. That's worthwhile listening to. There's a, an interview by Robin Van Persie on there. It's really good. And obviously, Open Goal. Just like, so many now, aren't there? Aye. aye. Uh, open Goal stuff's been good recently as well. Uh, they did their last one that I saw was the 
10 um, worst players. The top 10 worst players. <laughs> That's quite funny. There's almost yeah. a bit of irony about it um, as well. But they, they, to be fair, the three guys that do it just take the piss at themselves as much as anyone else. Yeah. So. I think Sai Ferry put himself in his 10 worst. But uh, aye, it's funny. I haven't that been that's... harsh because he's, he's, he's good player. a bad player. Right? Aye. Um, but aye, it's, a, it's a good laugh. None of you have any other questions. The uh, final one for me. Um, you knew this was coming. Um, I just didn't know whether to make it Celtic related or players next year or a bit of both. Um, now we'll go with that. Um, best 11. Um, I'm actually your favourite Celtic players and um, players you've played with. I'm actually, well, I was prepared for both as well, so that's good. Uh, it's going to be hard on because you probably had two I ones. Aye, I mean, it there's going to be a few Rangers fans that won't want to play with the Celtic players. I mean, it would just be 11 Celtic players if I was picking like this. Let's do it. I'll, I'll go with the, the favourite players I've played with in juniors because I, I have this one ready and it shout out a few boys who mean a lot to me as well. But. Uh, went Matty Craig. If you want to give us both, then if you want to just right. give us both, let's do it. You, you can save it for another. You can save the second one for another time. <laughs> I know. Wow. Uh, go Matty Craig and go. He's a young boy. Uh, just left Fault House to go to Wishaw, but he's better than that level. Uh, he's only nineteen. I think he's a wee spell at Clyde. Do you remember Boggate? Did you guys ever pick up on that? JC and Boggate with Clyde. Don't think so. So basically, young Matty went to Clyde a couple of years ago, and the agreement is that. Clyde would give ten replica match day balls for him, and, <laughs> and they never they never paid up, and uh, it made it, it made the papers never. And it was a Twitter sensation at the time. Um, but I, JC obviously being JC got really heated about it on Twitter and was calling Clyde all sorts under the sun. And Tony McNally, who was the manager at the time, uh, but I, Matty should be playing at a higher level. Uh, back four: Craig McEwen, a Southie, the Glen after manager. Obviously, they're really good senior career as well. Never shy in telling you that he's got, I think he's third highest in the Scotland under 21 cap list. Uh, also, the hairiest man in football. <laughs> Craig Menzies, going after Captain Z. Just, I mean, the quietest captain I've ever played under. Like, an, a, an absolute mute of a man, but just leads by example. Uh, the most composed guy I've ever seen playing at centre half. Just quite playing beside McChesney. Uh, turns <laughs> for fun Z honestly just absolutely loves a Croyton. Um so composed and laid back next time I put a fall to his captain Sammy Watson uh, Keith Watson's brother actually Keith that plays with Ross County an absolute warrior of a boy um, again pretty quiet for a captain but just please put his head in where I wouldn't even put my foot half the time just so brave and one of these boys who does everything 100% can never do any less uh, left back, I went Alan Cairns, uh, going after him as well, scored the winner against Talbot, that absolute rocket oh, in the cup final. On. You're not getting back. Aye, <laughs> 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 good, good player, good boy as well. Uh, absolute bomb scare on a night out, but a good laugh. Uh, I've went for a midfield free. I went Ryan Carnwath, probably my best mate, both in and out of football. Uh, I've remember now, but Meanwhile, I've had a package deal up until I left Avery Meadow to go to Foltis. Um I tried my hardest to take him with me, but he, he loves it down at Avery. Um But we went BSC, Eastcobriden and Meadow together. Good player, just really tidy on the ball. 
Uh, probably the best in football I've ever seen it by in a foul. As soon as somebody touches him, just falls over and wins fouls constantly when he's under pressure. Uh, next to him, I went Jamie McKernan, who I think is at Darvel now. I played with Jambok on Afton, and he went to Queen's Park after that. Had a wee spell at Stenny as well, but he should have should never have played junior football. Far, far too good for that level. Uh, grumpy wee man, which is probably what's cost him falling into the juniors. Um, but hey, far too good for that level. So the type of boy, if you were doing possession at training, you tried to stand next to Jambo so you could get the same colour of a basm because he would never lose the ball. Uh, just in front of you two, I went John Craig. I spoke about him a couple of times. Really helped bring out Michelle. Again, really close friend. Unbelievable junior career. Uh, I think one I've written a couple of times over, as he likes to tell you. Um, scored 200 odd goals in the juniors for midfield. Just a good player. Looks like Jay, I think he looks like Jason Statham, but um, yeah, he's just such a good player. And weirdly, in his latter years, latter years when he was EK Fisselways, he turned into an absolute hatchet man. I don't know where it came from, but he just started taking bodies instead of playing football. But he's such a good guy. Uh, wide right went with Jamie McLeod or Messi, as he's affectionately known in the juniors. Uh, obviously, played with Messi Fultus again, someone who's supported me through a lot as I sort of signed for Fultus and started to go through recovery after everything that happened in the last year. We Messi's really helped us through a lot. It's such a good B football, hence the name Messi. Left-footed, low centre of gravity, an absolute wizard with the ball at his feet. Uh, wide right, I've went for Adam Stratton, who is another one who should never have played junior football. Obviously got a load of issues off the field that have probably caused that, but Another guy who's really misunderstood. I remember him signing him with going after and being worried because he'd heard all the, all the off-the-field rumours and then, you know, just a really, really good guy. Uh, a brilliant football player. And then up top, my old strike partner, uh, Alan Kinney for going after uh, I don't know he's running for two seasons. Well, he just stood in the box. <laughs> he just stood in the box and put the, net, the ball in the net, but big man had to... I think he glue in his boots and every time he fired the ball at him it just stuck and uh, probably the best finisher I've played with just so composed any time he got half a chance you know he was scoring that's the best 11 of junior players that's a, I'd say that's a decent side to be fair yep um, if you want to run through one Fraser Foster in goal right back McNamara uh, centre half Bobo Balde and Virgil van Dijk left back Kieran Tierney Three in the middle of the park. I was going to go Lambert, but I picked Lennon just because I like him more. Uh, Lennon, Petrov, with Maravchuk in front. Uh, up top, Larson. On the right, Nakamura. And on the left, Megidi. A pretty decent team. That's a decent Strong. Who would um, be your Celtic manager? Celtic manager? Oof. Uh, oh, that's a good one I never considered that probably, probably Martin O'Neill there's a certain manager who if he didn't run out in, his, in the middle of February would have been in there <laughs> <laughs> he shall remain nameless but I probably Martin O'Neill I liked Stratton as well but he, I don't know it was just, he never really connected with the Celtic fans as much and then if I've, if I've got Lennon in there playing then it needs to be a new See, I'd play Lambert probably have Lennon as a manager. See, I put, uh, 
the, the part of me, Lambert was probably a better player, but I just can't oversee having Lenny in there. Uh, just an absolute legend, obviously. I don't think that's too far off my team enough. I think I'd probably have Yalby ahead of Bobo, actually. Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, it's the whole Bobo's going to get you. Um, <laughs> that, chant, that chant gets him in there alone. And with Van Dyke next to him, you don't need to worry about getting Bobo Baldi the ball. You can just get it Van Dyke and let Baldi just heat it up. Aye, it Aye, that's a partnership that would complement each other, to be fair. Bye. You made the podcast eleven. Um, the guests that we had. <laughs> uh, that was a decent team, by the way. Mm-hmm, there was good players in there. I was happy to be involved. Aye. Uh, you you do the run for Kennedy. That would be a good partnership. <laughs> I don't do much running anymore. That was a couple of years ago. <laughs> that was good. Be a bit different as well tonight. Having you talk about your career, I thought. Mm-hmm. Thought you'd enjoy it as well. That was good. It's uh, it's good to obviously talk about something a wee bit different. I mean, obviously the whole mental health stuff will always follow me a bit, but uh, it's nice to just reminisce a wee bit and uh, and speak about some good times. Pleasure having you on as always. Well, thank you guys. Um, all the best for the the rest of lockdown, and I'm sure I'm sure I'll speak to you soon enough. Oh, I definitely. You're always welcome. Thank you. Oh, I will need to find that hat trick ball. It might be a flyaway right now. <laughs> oh, plus the other thing is we need to get this pair to a junior game. Ah, uh, yeah, it's, well, no, it's no juniors anymore. I don't know what they're going to do. Non-league or something? Don't know. You'll get value for your money, that's for sure. I don't know if I've ever played in a nil-nil in junior football. There you go. Don't think it happens. Ah, you don't see me any. I've had, I've had a few people try to get me to juniors over the years. Yeah. I know I know people that go to St Rocks. I know folks. Yeah, get yourself in the St Rocks. Talbot, Athletics, and other. Was it a new conference? So it might be interesting. Aye, it's something I'd like to try and get along to if I can, but it just depends. Obviously, now when it all happens, but I bet I find it difficult getting to Aberdeen games, let alone any other football. To be perfectly honest, but. <laughs> So I'll give, I'll give it a try. Hey, cheers, guys. Hi. Cheers, cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. That was good. Aye, I don't know what I feel like. I was totally hogging it, but. No, it was a damn good. You're a lot more than four than what I did. <laughs> <laughs> 